have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Alright, welcome back everybody. We've got a special episode lined up this week. This is the I Know You Hear Me podcast with me, Flynn Hendricks, and I'm not alone this time. I've got a guest here in studio and I've got another guest here on the line. Got a couple familiar faces that were so nice we had to have them twice. And we'll probably have a bunch more times too with the way things are rolling here. But before we get into who I brought back today... I want to go ahead and take a minute and thank our sponsors for keeping this show going. We're getting closer and closer to half a year here on this podcast, which blows my mind completely if I'm going to be, you know, 100% honest and open. I don't know how the time has gone by this quick, but I'm so grateful that it has. I'm grateful that everybody's tuned in to listen to my conversations with my friends. I'm grateful that you guys have picked up on different things that have been said during those podcasts. And, you know, you've texted me, emailed me, tweeted me, whatever it may be. And, you know, you've told me that. So thank you. And thank you to our sponsors as well for keeping this show afloat and letting me bring you a special episode like we got here today. Now, this episode is airing If you look at your calendar on January the 14th, that is a special day for multiple reasons. And because of those reasons, which we're going to get into momentarily, I've not only brought back Randall Shane, but I've brought back the guy that put me in the hot seat from the very get-go on episode one, Chris Rucker, as well. And today, we're going to be talking about United Pro Wrestling, because this episode is airing on the anniversary of our first show for United Pro, and... This is something that Randall and I kind of talked about. We just got to the tip of the iceberg on our interview. You can go back in the archives and check that out. But we're going to get into a lot more of it here. And Randall and I are going to give our perspectives as not only talent, but promoter and booker of the show. And then Chris is going to be asking his questions, not only from a fan's perspective, but he's going to be trying to get more into our mindset and our psyche for what was going on during this time as well. So without further ado... Chris, Randall, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having hey, me back. Me. Oh, Jinx, one of you guys owes me a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, so let's uh, let's get into it, man. I can't believe it's already been four years. It's crazy, man. It's, it really is. There's so much, like, there's so much to, to unpack here, and I'm looking forward to it. But before we do, I've got to go back to... The very, very beginning that you teased in our first episode together, Randall, you said that United Pro was talked about and discussed way before it actually happened, but you and your wife found out that you were pregnant, so things got put on pause, but take me back to right before y'all found out and like walk me through what laid the groundwork for what was going to eventually become UPW. 
So I remember it was uh, September 2015. Me and Seth Duke, Seth Burchett, we were working for a promotion called uh, World Wrestling Alliance based out of Central City, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Seth actually, I think, had just stepped away from the ring. He was going through school uh, to be a teacher. So he had a bunch of that work. Uh, he was getting ready to do internship, student teaching, and all nice. this stuff. So his time was kind of getting on the road was going to be difficult. For yeah, him. absolutely. So <clears throat> I remember he called me one afternoon. He's like, hey, brother. He said, um, if I wanted to start a promotion, how would one go about doing that? And that just took me by surprise because I'd never, Seth had never mentioned anything, any interest before about wanting to start something. Right. So, you know, I kind of laid the basics down because I was a former promoter, booker, laid the basics out and told him, you know, well, you got to get this license, you got to get bonded, city license, um, you got to have XYZ, want to make sure you have all this stuff. He's like, okay. He said, so is there any money to be made? I said, there can be money to be made. If you do it right, the problem is a lot of these promoters don't do it right. Especially the ones that have come through Bowling Green that oh, he has seen. No comment. So, <laughs> so uh, we talked. It was probably about a good hour. And we basically laid towards the end of the conversation. We were both in agreement that we were going to start a promotion and we were going to get the ball rolling. Nice. So, uh I had a buddy of mine who had done some graphics for me. I said, hey, just draw up some graphics. We spitballed a few promotion names. Um, we didn't have anything set in stone yet, but I wanted to go ahead and kind of get a graphic going. So I had him working on that. Seth was kind of brainstorming some promotion names. I was kind of making a short list of talent that we would use and maybe some different towns originally we didn't want to just base in bowling green we wanted to do like one saturday bowling green the next saturday somewhere else right saturday somewhere else so fast forward about a month later we find out that we are pregnant <laughs> oh, <laughs> and boy. so seth is out student teaching i believe yes he was student teaching because he came by on his lunch break i said hey i said if you're out and about I said come by the shoot i got something i want to tell you so he comes by and I break the news to him. I was like, hey, so you know how we're going to, you know, get this ball rolling? We're going to start this promotion? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, well, we're going to have to wait a minute. He said, why is that? I was like, because you're going to be an uncle. <laughs> I was like, oh. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, pause. So, July 2nd, 2015, my daughter was born. Or 2016, I'm sorry. Uh, my daughter was born. And then... August goes by, September goes by, 1st of October, I'm like, all right, I think I'm ready. So I call up Seth, I was like, I think I'm ready, I think I'm ready to do this. He's like, okay. I said, what do we do? I said, pick up where we left off. So we finally mailed out a promotion name, United Pro Wrestling, had the guy tweak the logo a little bit, sent in our paperwork. By October, I want to say 20th, we had our license. We had this, the promoter's license, and that is when the Facebook page and the Twitter page went live. Man, and that happened pretty quick then. And, and very quick, yes. <clears throat> My first question, because uh, you referenced this on the episode with me in the past. Again, cheap plug, go check it out in the archives. You mentioned that you pulled not only myself, but Scott Sexton out of retirement to be on that first show and keep working yes. from there. But what was your criteria for picking, choosing, and booking the talents that you wanted on these shows? 
Okay, so I wanted United Pro Wrestling to be kind of a umbrella corporation, to say. Sort of, I'm not going to say NWA-ish, but mm-hmm. I want it to represent different promotions. So, I wasn't just going to have a core of just UPW-based wrestlers. Right. I wanted to pull some talent from the WWA out of Central City, from Terry England, GCW. I wanted to pull some talent from Tennessee. Also, I wanted to pull some talent that hadn't been working in a while. Something that the fans couldn't go anywhere else to see because they could go 20 minutes down the road to see Derek Neal on a Friday night in Franklin. Right. They could go 30 minutes to an hour up the road to see Ray Waddell in Central City. But they couldn't go anywhere else at that point to see Scott Sexton or Dyron Flynn. They would have to come to Bowling Green. And I had, so my criteria for that was I already knew when I was making the list that I wanted Scott Sexton. I had used Scott Sexton in my original promotion, New Era Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to dangle that carrot in front of him to see if he would bite. And all it <laughs> took was one text. He was like, I'm in. And I was like, okay, who else can I get? It's like, Dyron. Dyron hasn't been working much, if at all. <laughs> so let me shoot Dyron text. And I remember texting him. It was like, hey, is this Dyron? <laughs> You're like, yes. It's like, hey, this is Randall Shane, yada, yada, yada. Told you what I had going on, and you're like, I'm in. Do you need anybody else? I said, who do you have in mind? You said my tag team partner. I said, done deal. I said, I'll send you the stuff. Send off the license. I'll pay for it. We got the ball rolling. That was it. I mean, like it, it was literally that simple. But of course, we're gonna yes. we're gonna get into some licensing issues with said tag team partner, <laughs> who was a former guest on this show. Go check it out in the archives, man. Like. It was an exhilarating experience because I remember, like, being nervous coming back. Like, oh, am I still able to go? Like, because inadvertently it had been six, eight months since I'd taken a booking since then. I think the last one may have been for a Burt Prentice show. But I'm like, am I in quasi good enough shape to still do this? It was a humbling experience to know that you wanted me on that show. So there was no way I could say no to that. Like, like this is no joke. Scott Sexton was the first text I sent. You were the second. Before I, like, I already knew in my mind that, you know, I would be wrestling. Seth would be wrestling. Right. I knew my tag team partner, Caleb, he would be wrestling. So I didn't have to, you know, I already knew those were in place. But as far as booking outside talent, Scott was the first person I texted. You were the second. And I think you all, you both just saw the look on my face. And maybe one day this footage <laughs> will find its way out into the real world and people will see that. But yeah, that took me back. Like, that, that shocked me. So. I am humbled, so thank you, sir. Well, you're very welcome. Now, on a different note, I, like I said, like October 20th, somewhere around there, Facebook and Twitter went live. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an hour, and like probably not even that long, as soon as the Twitter page went live, I got a DM and an email from Abyss. Like, not even an hour. Like, asking wow. for, yes. Like, because Seth, at that point, me and him were sharing the pages, so he had access to. He's like, Abyss just DM'd us. It's like, what? He said, Abyss just DM'd us on Twitter. That's a big get. What do I do? Yes. He's like, what do I do? I was like, well, let me talk to him. Yeah. So he wanted to come in for the first show. Unfortunately, we couldn't make that work because of other commitments that he had and whatnot. But we did end up bringing him in for either like the March or the April April it, event. Yeah, March it was the uh, it was the third show overall, if I'm not mistaken. 
That's a funny story in itself, how you came up with that name, the Bowling Green Massacre. Bowling Green Massacre. So funny about... <laughs> so, okay, do, do we want to go in chronological order, or do you just want to jump around a little bit? Oh! I have a story on that also. Let's go in chronological order, and I'm going to let Chris ask some questions here, too, because I can tell he's he's chomping at the bit, so... Okay. So... When when you're starting this promotion, you know there's there's so many other local regional promotions. What what were you wanting to do to set yourself apart from the other already established promotions? So basically, like what I had mentioned earlier, I wanted us to be like an umbrella type promotion to where you could come see these <clears throat> stars from these other promotions under one roof. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was a fan of the WWA, they could. But they lived in Bowling Green, and WWE wasn't running that night. They could still come to Bowling Green to see said WWA star. Right. Or they could come see, like, WWA versus a UCW star. On our very first event, we had a UCW championship match. What other promotion do you know? Because you know how promoters can get. Nobody wants to work together, hardly. What other promoter do you know that will book a championship match with a promotion's other wrestlers. Yeah, you basically just said what forbidden door and just went with it. Pretty much. And it's funny you say that because I was watching uh, something of AEW the other night. And I was like, I've done that. I've done that before they did that. But <laughs> I opened the Kentucky Forbidden Door. Yes, there we go. And, and to put it in perspective, too, when Randall said a lot of these promoters don't like to work with each other or don't like their talent working with or putting over somebody else's talent. To put it nicely, it is catty high school drama. I don't know if it's still that way since I'm so far removed from so much of the scene, but I know at one point in Nashville, for example, there were four different promotions running, and each owner had some kind of beef or heat with the other person to the point where if you worked on that show, you were persona non grata to the other three. Or if you left one for the other, you just burned your bridge for six months to a year or whatever. So that, that's that's how petty the business of wrestling can be sometimes. Just keep that in mind as the story goes on. So then you, you've mentioned working with other promotions, getting other talent. How hard was it to work with these other promoters to get their talent on your show? I mean, you've got, you've got an entirely different promotion having a title up for grabs on your show. It wasn't as hard as you would think. Terry England, the UCW promoter, uh, me and him were very close. He is like my wrestling father when it comes to promoting. Chris Waddell, owner of the WWA in Central City, me and him were very close. I had worked for him for about a year and a half prior, so we kind of had a bond. We kind of saw each other or saw things the same way. We may not have done things the way he done things. I may not have done things the same way, but we kind of had that same vision. So it wasn't too hard. Uh, UCW, WWA, New South out of Franklin, that may have been the only three promotions that I basically had a working relationship with. Would, would you count the Maddox brothers in that? Because I know that's where Scott Sexton was primarily, <laughs> but it seems like they didn't start running again until after UPW yeah, started. Yeah, they didn't start back up until after I had sold to New South. But yeah, I mean, I, I would have definitely had a... I had used the Maddoxes before when I booked for ICW. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I would have had no problem working with the Maddoxes. Man, so... That's that's a lot to unpack right there in itself, but all of this is going on as we get closer to that first show in January of that year. What's going through your mind as we get closer? Because there were certain things that were planned out around myself and Zach, 
Zach's licensing didn't happen until, gosh, I guess two, three months later. So a lot of plans there were put on hold. There were some bumps in the road. But, like, walk me through what was your mindset? How were you staying calm through all that? And how were you handling these different things that may have reared their head as the track went on? I actually stayed pretty calm. Um, there were only a couple hiccups along the way that kind of got me like, oh, what, what am I going to do? I remember one, for instance, is once we got everything live, all the social media live, on Facebook, as we gained followers, once I would do talent announcements. So once we gained so many followers, we would announce like three talents that have signed for the first event. We gained X amount of more followers, we would announce three more talents and so on. And I think as we were getting close to Black Friday, which was when tickets were going to go on sale, that's when also we were going to announce our main event. So the main event I wanted was, of course, how fitting the headliner Chris Michaels in the main event facing Adam Rose. He had been recently released from the WWE that year. I was a big Adam Rose fan. Like, I wanted to be, like, not to be a mark or anything, but I wanted to be a rosebud like i i wanted to be a rosebud i did too that was the coolest mike if you coolest thing if you look at the show like just a little fun spoiler alert right here if you go and like look at his debut episode that was one of the first nights i was ever an extra for uh for wwe they've got his party bus parked outside you see me in my car in the picture as i'm getting my suitcase out of the back so obviously i wanted to be a rosebud so i could say i was on tv but it didn't happen but yeah i I forgot he was going to be involved with the show. Yes. So I found his booking uh, information. I emailed him. And <laughs> Mark Harris, who was a uh, former WWE referee, well, I guess was his acting agent, was Adam Rose's agent. Mm-hmm. He contacted me back. He said, yeah, he said he's free that day. Here's the fee. Flies out of so-and-so. Said, if you want to do it, said, we'll get the ball rolling. I was like, absolutely. Let's do this. So I sent him the form couple of weeks go by, I hit Mark Ups like, hey, he hasn't sent back his, which Adam was, he was already licensed in Kentucky because he had worked for WWE that year. Mm-hmm. The only problem was his license expires December 31st, which means I could advertise him up to December 31st. Right. Oh, yeah. Until he renewed, until he renewed I wouldn't be able to advertise him. The debut, debut show was January 14th. So... I sent him the all the forms and heard nothing back. So I would email Mark, like basically on a daily basis. Hey, I need I need his release. I need the I need the license. I gotta I gotta you know I got these graphics. I gotta put them out, which I'm already advertising Adam Rose. But we're getting closer and closer. I don't want to come January first, him not be licensed, and I can't advertise my main event. Yeah. So. Hi, Betsy. Come here. Get, get the shot. There she is. There's a little one. You've grown up since I saw you last time. <laughs> so, I remember in December, I had jury duty. And I'm sitting there. I text him. I was like, hey, look, we're getting so close. He hasn't renewed anything. I'm not getting any feedback. I'm going to have to replace him. So, a day goes by, I hear nothing. Another day goes by, I hear nothing. Finally, he texted me back, hey, sorry, we can't make this work. I don't know what's going on with him. He's not answering any of my emails. I understand. Replace him if you need to be, whatever. Like, okay. So I was like, well, that, that was my first hiccup. Like, who am I going to replace him with? 
So I'm thinking. I don't want anybody old. I want somebody fresh that the kids are going to know. So I'm thinking Carlito. Carlito. I had worked with Carlito back in 2015 for the WWA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he done their one night only event, and he was pretty cool. I actually got to pick Carlito and Chris Masters up from the airport. Nice. Very aw- very aw- awkward. <laughs> is that something you can talk about, or is that? No, no, yeah, I, I can talk about it. It was just like I didn't know how to act. I didn't want to be too brotherly. I didn't want to be too Markish. So no, like, I understand. The whole ride was just me being quiet and them talking. I'll give you a Carlito story when we get to the end of the first uh, the first show too. Okay, so I messaged Carlito and like within an hour, I remember I'm sitting at jury duty. Within an hour, he emails me back. I get the notification. They're like, "Yeah, I'm open. This, this is my fee. This is where I fly out of." I'm like, "All right, let's book it." I had him send me his information. I renew his license. That way I know it's getting done. Right. I renew his license that day. That night, I had the graphic made. It pops up. Bigger reaction than Adam Rose. Nice. So then it was set. Carlito versus Chris Michaels for the main event of UPW Starting Point. Nice. So I like that. after that, my next hiccup was Rockstar Spud. Oh, Ooh. see, I forgot he was going to be on that show, too. He was supposed to work Derek Neal. Yes. Okay, so originally it was supposed to be Rockstar Spud versus Teddy King. Teddy got injured. So I call my buddy Derek and like, hey, look, got this open. You want to work it? He's like, yeah, absolutely. So I got him versus Rockstar Spud. Spud texts me. He's like, hey, mate, TNA is sending me to UK those three days. It was like the 13th, 14th, 15th for publicity for their uh, European tour in February. He said, I'm sorry, I can't make it. We'll make up. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, well, crap. Now who am I going to get? He lived in Nashville, so he was just going to be a car ride up. Like, Not okay. too far from where I'm at right now, actually. I said, so I said, so now I've got to think of somebody who is in driving distance. Because I'm not going to pay for another flight. I've already got Carlito on flying. So I'm not paying for another flight. Who can I get? So I think of two guys. And one of which was um, Chase Stevens. And the other one was, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the old, the old Iron Man himself. Uh, Conway, yes, Conway, the one, the one that was there, Conway. So I tell Derek, I was like, hey, look, said Spud, uh, Spud had to cancel. Said he's gonna make it up to us. Said these are the two I can get with driving distance. Who would you like to work? Because I know I knew he had worked both of them, so I wanted to give him the choice. Since Spud couldn't make it, I said, who would you like to work? He's like, man, he's like, I really like to work Chase because, you know, Chase helped groom me. He helped bring me in. I said, but I'm really trying to get, because at that time, Carver down in Franklin was working with, with NWA. Yep. And Conway was really in tight with NWA. And I believe, if I'm not he's mistaken, like, he was half of the world tag champions at that time, too. Yes, he was. I believe it was, it was either Riviera or Jax Dane. No, no, it was, um, who did they bring in to solve for Plunkett to face? Kojima? Kojima, yes, it was him and Kojima, wasn't it? I remember him getting the the world title back from Kojima, but I can't. I just remember Jax Dane okay. and uh, Matt Riviera yeah, being it, the tag champions. Okay, it may be then. I may have my. Okay, it may be because they just had anyway. the new belts made too. Yeah, so um, he brings he picks Conway because he wants to try. He's trying to get recognized by the NWA and yep. he's wanting to make a trip to Japan. So he's hoping Conway can kind of help him with that. So then I booked Conway versus Neil. Those were really the only two big hiccups leading to that first event. Nice, nice. 
So when you're booking this first card, you want to have somebody, you, you want to get people with some star power to get the attention, get the tickets sold. Yes. So you had said it was Adam Rose initially, and then was there anybody else you had thought about bringing in? Uh, yeah, we. which Mark Harris, Adam Rose's agent, before I had canceled Adam Rose, I'd asked him who all he represented. He said he re- represented some contracted WWE stars who couldn't wrestle but could make appearances. Okay. I was like, well, okay. I was like, well, maybe I can get somebody just come do autographs. Uh, I think that was like Mark Henry, Kane. Wow. There were like one or two others, but their fee was just outrageous that there was no way I was going to do it. Yeah. We had talked about Hillbilly Jim coming in and just doing autographs because that would bring in some local people and some of the older fans. There was someone else. Oh, Bill Eady, Demolition Axe. Love that guy. I had talked to him several times. I had brought him in for Terry England on multiple occasions. And he was going to drive up and sell his book and autograph his book and everything. But something fell through and the date that he was available had changed or something. So he wasn't able to come up. And so when you're when you're putting this whole thing together, the card's one thing, and you're working on talent. Do you have any difficulty getting a venue? No, not at all. all um, there's only two venues that I had in mind. That was the National Guard Armory or the Fairgrounds, which the Fairgrounds hosts two buildings. They have a building, an old ag building that's down by the racetrack, and they have a building, which we call at the top of the hill, uh, which is a JC Pavilion. But the Bowling Green Armory was my first choice. Luckily, it was available, and we got in there no problem at all. Nice. We'll get to some armory hiccups down the road here. So talk to me about, like, what you're feeling during the first show, not only, like, before the first match goes in the ring, which had me in it and then led into a match with you that I know you had said on the last episode you were hesitant to even be a part of, Talk to me about your feelings before the show, during the show, and then once the show was over. So going into the show, like I remember like right after the new year, I was feeling really good. Ticket sales were going smooth. We had almost sold out of our uh, Golden Circle VIP experience tickets. General sales were going smooth. I had mailed out like each week I was mailing out like a handful of tickets. Um, and, and that's something a lot of people don't realize is I was printing the tickets. I was mailing the tickets. I was doing all that myself. So I was feeling really good about going into the event. Now, I remember uh, two or three days before the event, I got to thinking, we don't have concessions. Oh, my gosh. You can't have a wrestling show and not have concessions. True story. Me and Seth, me and my wife, Seth and his wife, we made a trip to Sam's Club, and we got all sorts of concessions. My wife did purchase a uh, popcorn machine off of Amazon. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was only like $200, but, it, you know, you got to have popcorn, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> That's crazy to think, like, you get right there almost to the finish line, or the starting line at this point, and it's like, I just forgot this big, like, this big thing of, like, that just shows how much actually goes into a show that it becomes so easy to forget something if you're not on your game like that. Like, I, that's amazing. So... I remember the day event. Now, this was a day that, like, I was, I didn't sleep at all the night before. I remember waking up at, like, 5, 6 o'clock that morning. I was like, okay, I've got to start getting ready. So, I had to come in. I got to load up. I double-check everything, like, three or four times, right? Yeah. So, I get on the laptop. I make sure I have music. Make sure that the music plays. I go through everybody. I mean, I go through everybody's music. 
make sure all the music plays. I go through the match listings, make sure I have copies. I made multiple copies. I made, uh, let's see, uh, signs for concessions, several different, just little things that I thought would like kind of spruce up the thing. I remember putting signs on the doors that said uh, talent only this way, that way fans didn't walk down the hallway, stuff like that. Getting to the building, we got there around 10 o'clock. Now, remember, the show doesn't start till like 7 o'clock. Right. I'm, arri- I'm arriving at the building at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, okay, this, this is it. This is time. If you know me, I have to give myself, like even if it's way too much time, I have to give myself time. If I have two or three hours to spend after setup, before the event, that's fine. But I don't want to be down to crunch time still tightening the ropes, which was actually happening. We opened the doors and it was a nightmare. I See, so, I remember bits and pieces of that, but continue. So it, it was a brand new ring. We had, me and Seth had set it up once in the backyard when we cut the wood to match the ring. Okay. Mm-hmm. As far as that, that was it. We didn't tighten the ropes, nothing. So I remember it was me, Seth, my nephew, uh, his friend, and someone else. So we get the ring set up. We can't get the ropes tight at all. I mean, we're trying everything. Oh, cables man. under the ring, cables. The ropes will not get tight. They're they're usable, but they're not tight. Right. So finally, some of the guys start rolling in, and one of the WWA guys, uh, Alexander Knight, who is the head of their ring crew, or was the head of their ring crew, he takes a look at it. He's like, you got too much slack on your underneath cable. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he said, your cable's too long. He said, you need to tighten it up a little bit. So with just <laughs> a screwdriver and a wrench, we were able to... Uh, tighten that wire and smooth sailing. So funny how that works, man. It's crazy. That's little things that you don't think of. Yeah, that's 100% it. It's the little things that add up, though. And you said you're doing all this pretty much yourself? Um, I mean, Seth's helping out a little bit. um, But again, like, he's got class. He's doing student teaching. So a lot of his time, and, you know, and I understood going into this that I was going to be doing a lot of the work. I love it. Like, I love, like, if I put my mind to something, something, especially something like that, like, I'll give it 110%, and, like, I'm driven to do it. Did you ever think about getting somebody to help you with those little things, or is it just easier to keep it with yourself? To me, it's easier to keep it with myself because I have relied on others before, and I still have to end up doing it myself or redoing it myself. Yep. It's like that old booking mentality of, Sometimes you're the only one that can execute the plan the way you know it needs to be executed. Yes, yes. Yep. So, as the show starts going on, you see the matches and everything, you've had your match. What are you thinking? What are you feeling as that's going on? So, let's get let's get to um, doors opening. Mm-hmm. So, the doors open. I'm in the back, you know, I'm hanging out with the guys. I'm trying not to think about... I don't want to see the crowd until I walk out there for the first time. Right. Until I walk through that curtain. And, you know, I knew ticket sales were good in advance, but I didn't know how well walk-up was going to be. I want to say we had 60 or 80 VIP ringside tickets, and we had sold almost all of those through um, pre-sale. Wow. And then I knew we had sold about 20... 
uh, general admission on pre-sale. So I knew I was already looking at around a hundred people. Yeah. Now, if you remember the last podcast, which you can go back and listen to in the archives. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I told you about the uh, event I had booked for ICW where we broke a hundred, uh, over a hundred people in Bowling Green. First yes. time it had been done in years. Okay. So I knew if I could draw at least a hundred, and that's all I was looking for a hundred people. If I could get a hundred people, and I want to say like 130 was my break-even point because I had sponsor money and stuff lined up. So like 130 was going to be like my break-even point for everything. 130 fans. So I remember it was about 30 minutes till bell time. I had somebody said, what's it look like out there? He's like, oh, they're not all in here. They're not all in yet. It's like, what do you mean they're not all in? Said, they're still lined up outside. What do you mean? They're still lined up. They're still coming in. I'm like, nice. What? You've got to be kidding me. He's like, no, brother. They're still lined up. We had, I want to say, 230 fans in attendance that night. That's with comps and everything. That's great. So, and the way it was yeah, set up, was, too, it looked like it was a lot more than 230. And it was. And if you remember, and a lot of the, a lot of the workers were like, they couldn't believe the setup. Yeah. So the way that I had set everything up was basically kind of how a WWE event would be. Instead of, you go to a bunch of these indie shows and they'll have the entryway coming from the corner of a turnbuckle. I had it dead set center in the ring. So you had fans on both sides of the entryway and the other three sides of the ring. All sides of the ring were fans. I had the gimmick tables to the left of the entryway concessions was to the right of the entryway straight ahead i had more rows than i had on either side so that way that gave the illusion that it looked fuller than it did even though it was still pretty full right because that was also the hard cam side if i remember correctly yes nice nice but i remember a bunch of the workers that they couldn't believe the setup i mean we had we had the real barricades yeah at that time you didn't see a lot of no promotions had them it's usually a, usually a thin rope. Just buckets and rope. Yep. Oh boy. Um, we had the nice little entryway with the banners and the curtains. It wasn't just some tarp hanging on a door. So I mean, we really had it decked out. I mean, you you put your time and your money into that, and I think it showed in the quality of that as well. Now, when you do your first appearance and you do the run in uh, to set up our match. Like, did you have a moment in the ring to kind of, like, stop and take it all in? Or were you just kind of, like, eyes on the prize, got to get this match going? I was just, I was, and, I, and now I regret it. I was just eyes on the prize. We got to get, we, we got to get things moving. I did kind of take a moment during, later in the night, we had the uh, rumble for the gold. Yep. I did kind of take a moment in there just to kind of look around and soak it in for a minute. But I wish I had took longer. I got you. That, that's understandable, too. But, I mean, like, at the same time, too, when you've got that match that's got to go on on the spot, like, it's kind of hard to not keep your focus on that because if you do take your mind off of it for just a second, it's like, it's gone. Yeah, it, yeah, it really is. And, I mean, is it possible, too, that it's like you're just doing the same thing over and over again? You're just used to just walking through that curtain, going into the ring, and just going through the match and not even thinking about taking in the crowd and all the work you've put into it? I, th- I think a lot of that was part of it because I remember going out during that battle royal. Seth had told me he's like, man, he's like just being out there and seeing everything. And I got to think, I was like, man, I, di- I didn't have that. I didn't get out there and like look around. And so I made sure during that 
Rumble match just to go in there and at least look around for, even if it was 30 seconds, just to soak it in and not just run in and get my spots in. Yeah, makes sense. As we're getting to that first show, everything's going on. Mm -hmm. You've got Rob Conway in. You've got Carlito in. Everything's going. You know, we're getting closer to the main event here. Once that final bell rings and the match between Carlito and Chris Michaels is done, what are you feeling like, not as a promoter, not as a wrestler, just as Randall the person? Randall the person, I was like, all right, let's get this cleaned up and get home. As the promoter, I was like, all right, what are we going to do next month? As the wrestler, I was like, okay, I can't be doing this and this at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. And you said something really big right there, too, especially like wearing the promoter hat. This is something that I struggle with damn near every day. It's like you do something, but I have a hard time stopping to sit and rest on my laurels or enjoy the fruits of my labor. Like I'm always thinking about, okay, I did that. Now I've got to do this. Or now this is coming up where I can't actually, I have a hard time enjoying being in that moment. hundred percent. Like during this event, we were already there. This event was already happening. I wasn't thinking about this event. I was thinking about February and what we were going to do on this event to bring them back for February. Gotcha. My mind was already focused on winter warfare. I guess this will kind of skip ahead just a little bit, but like during your time running this promotion, did you ever feel like you had to stop and take a step back from that kind of mentality of what am I going to do next? Or was it just kind of like always that and that's what kept the show going? No, it was always that. I was booking months and months ahead. Like when, when this card came out, I already had my February, March, and April events pretty much penciled in of what I wanted. I could tell. I could have told you from January of 2017 what I wanted at the anniversary show in January of 2018. I mean, that's how that's how wow. my mind thought as a promoter. I already knew what I wanted. Some of that actually happened, but not the way that I wanted it to happen. Right, right. And it's kind of that old school mentality of finding the finish line and booking your way back from there. That's one of the things I hate because. I feel like we could have got a lot more mileage out of it, but we rushed through it. Was the the dynasty with the tag titles? Yes. I feel like I feel like it was just it was a rushed program because we knew where we were going with the right. Impact, but I guess because of the hiccups with the licensing issue and all of that, we had to just speedball everything. Yeah, we had that certain point we wanted to get to, so we had to rush. Yep, and then if I remember correctly, too, like just to kind of. Go ahead and put a little bit more into that story. We, quote-unquote, had a phantom title switch, or we lost the titles at a show that wasn't a UPW show. And then yes. that same night, we had a match down in Franklin. It was still under the UPW banner, but yeah. it wasn't the usual UPW crowd where we you know, we lost the match to, uh, to Vic and Corey. And then I turned on Zach and probably delivered the worst-looking pile driver in wrestling history. We won't talk about that, but that happened. I had fun with it, but I can only imagine how it would have been had we been able to have that full run with it where like, it was just like, I don't want to say the equivalent of a Hulk Hogan-Randy Savage breakup, but... I mean, like, just the reaction that we got when Zach did return in Bowling Green, and we talked about it on his episode, where he yes. ran into the Battle Royal as the surprise entrant and speared me. Like, you saw the boys in the ring stop. You saw the crowd stop. And, yeah. like, everybody just, like, believed it in that moment. Going back to something you said there, like, having these ideas booked out 
and some of them did happen, just maybe not the way that you had intended them to. Walk me through your mindset there where you have to just stay so flexible with that. Like, how do you find the balance where you're still executing the vision, even though if it's not with the exact groundwork that you laid from the get-go? So, for instance, one of the programs that I knew that I wanted to get to by by the one-year anniversary show was for Seth to be one of the top baby faces. Yes. Okay, well, Seth started out as a heel. Uh, in this event here, uh, starting point, uh, it came down to him and a Vispo for the U.S. title in the Rumble for the Gold, where Vispo won. Which, by the way, wasn't even originally booked. It was supposed to be Nick Willis who won the United States Championship. Nick canceled on me that day. Ah. Vispo, uh, Vispo was Nick's replacement. Again, instead of putting it on Seth then, I didn't want to do that. I wanted Seth to win it down the road so right. on a Vispo. And that's a guy that so, I wanted to work with too. Like, Not that I'm a big guy by any stretch, but working with that guy would have made me look like a giant. And there was so much cool stuff. Because I remember I kept asking you, like, man, can I get in there with him? Can I get in there with him? Because like, I had so that, many ideas running through my head on that. Because I remember watching some of those matches between Seth and a Vispo and... Even I was like, damn, these guys match up pretty well because it's a David and Goliath, and yes, you still got some yeah. entertaining matches out of it. Yes, absolutely. So the whole thing was it was going to be Seth, Vanderpool, Alexander Knight. There may have been one or two others that were going to be this faction. Uh, they were going to be a dominant faction in UPW. Mm-hmm. And by the fall, Seth was going to turn. He was going to turn baby, but he wasn't going to be basically a tweener at that time. Yeah. He wasn't going to turn full-fledged baby until probably the Toys for Tots show in December. When at that point, I was going to have Seth. He wasn't going to wrestle that show. He was going to be Santa Claus. And at the end of the show, Foreign Exchange comes out. They cut a promo, do whatever to Santa. And then it's revealed that... Seth is Santa, he takes out the foreign exchange, and then that sets up Seth's baby turn for the one-year show in January. Man, that would have been so good. And I think we even had plans of, because I know we talked about it too, of me working with Seth just to solidify that, because people hated me. But maybe that opportunity will come down the road. Let's get into Winter Warfare and the Bowling Green Massacre, because... Oddly enough, these shows happened, technically they were in separate months, but they were a week apart. A week apart, yes. Yeah. So I actually have the website pulled up here. So Abyss was on the fourth show. So Winter Warfare was on February 25th, and Proving Ground was on March Okay, 25th. that's right, that's right. Because Cabana was the third show. That's right. Yes. I mean, one week apart. And that actually went from a Saturday show to a Sunday show. Yes. Starting Point and uh, Winter Warfare were both on Saturdays. And then Proving Ground moved to Sundays. Yep, and that was also the night that it was up against the WWE pay-per-view as well. I think... Elimination Chamber. Yeah, funny enough how my mind works. I think that's the same night that Goldberg won the Universal title in the main event. And we actually, I think we moved bell time earlier that show. Yes, because it was a 5 o'clock show. Five o'clock, yes. Yep. I got a couple questions that I want to ask, but I'm going to let Chris take the reins for a minute before I uh, before I hog all the spotlight here. Absolutely. All right, so was this by design this week apart on the two shows, or did that just circumstances cause that to happen? I want to say it was circumstances because I wanted Cabana. I wanted Cabana for a show, and that okay. was his only open date gotcha. for that month. 
So, because so I had planned on just running Saturdays, right? But he had Ring of Honor on Saturday, and he was free on Sunday, and Ring of Honor flew him to me. Gotcha. So, so then you had to go up against Elimination Chamber to yes. get Cabana. Yep. But then you changed your bell time to basically what two you, hours. Okay. So you basically had a chance to do both if you wanted to watch both. Yes. Which, I mean, knowing what we know now about Elimination Chamber, you've been better off just watching one and not watching Elimination Chamber. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I mean, it was a stacked card, too. So, oh, yeah. Colt Cabana, the Colt Cabana card had Trent Ware versus Alexander Knight, had another, the WWA National Championship. So, again, another promotions championship defended on the card. Andrew Hunter uh, versus Tyler Hawkins. The System defeated Shoots to Thrill. Scott Sexton pinned Nick Depp. Vic the Bruiser beat Dyron Flynn. Seth LaDuke beat Avispo to win the United States Championship. And Colt Cabana beat Ray Waddell. I actually have to chime in here because there is fake news in those results. I actually beat Vic the Bruiser by disqualification. The record book needs to be changed. Anyway. So, Did you really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But anyway, back to back to. You said you wanted Cabana. How long were you working to get Cabana for that show? I had actually tried booking Cabana back in 2011 when I was running in Clarksville, Tennessee. And then when I started UPW, I wanted I wanted it to be a little different. I didn't want it to be just this same old Southern pro wrestling company. Yeah. So and I was always a fan of Cabana. Listened to his podcast. Oh yeah. Time. So I, I remember back in January, I tried reaching out to him and he was booked for like the January and February dates. So I said, send me any dates you're open in March. And of course, none of them were Saturdays. Um, and the only Sunday one was the that one there. I think everything else was like either a Friday or a Thursday. And it really helped that Ring of Honor was flying him to Nashville so I didn't have to pay for trans. All I had to pay was uh, for a rental car for him to drive back up to Chicago. That's not so. How easy was that working with Ring of Honor to get him to you? Oh, really easy. Like I, I didn't even have to. Like he done all that. I didn't even have to speak to Joe Coffin or anyone. Like he, he handled all that. Nice. Wow. Cabana did. So, with that mentality that you had at the first show, booking ahead, uh, this is going to be a two part question here where your next two shows are a week apart and they're also on different days. What were some of the easier parts of that? And then also, what were some of the challenges of not only having two shows that close together, but then also having one show on a different day at a different time too? Like, did you feel like there'd be any differences in the crowd or there might be some like, oh, I'm only used to seeing this once, then waiting so long to see the next one? What was all that like? I knew there would be a difference in crowd. I knew one show would draw better than the other. Or I thought the Colt Cabana show would draw better than the February show. It was actually the other way around. I think the biggest challenge I saw in the week apart was the advertising. Because I didn't want to advertise the March show so heavy that people forgot there was a February show. Right. So what I had done, I had my graphic designer make a split poster. That's right. Um, and I'll actually send you the poster if you want to put it in show notes. Yes, yes, I do. Um, so the top of the poster is advertising Winter Warfare. It's a blue, cold, darker image. And the bottom half advertises Proving Ground, which has got a lot of red and makes it really pop. So that way they can see that there's a difference. That was going to be the biggest issue besides the posters, the banner that hung at the armory. 
because I didn't want to. I didn't want to do a double banner, so I advertised the February show. And as soon as that show, like that night, as soon as that show was over, I put up the banner for the following week. I think having the shows back to back, I think that's what caused maybe the crowd in March to kind of dwindle down a little bit, having them so close together. I gotcha. Because we were back up in April. I mean, yeah, the Sunday yes, show we were. in April with Abyss, it was back up. Now, next question here, and this is one that you hear so often, whether it's like the boys that have jealousy in the back or somebody that just never got the, the quote-unquote push they felt like they deserved, but in a situation where Seth is a co-owner with you and he holds the only title, or he wins the only title that the company has at that point, and then in another situation where like main event of the March show with Ray Waddell working Cole Cabana, and everybody knows that you guys are friends. Like, did you ever have to encounter that? Like, well, why is he getting this position, or why is he getting this belt? Is it just because he's the owner, or he's your friend? Did you ever encounter any of that nonsense? Uh, I mean, from a few people. I mean, I don't know. They were just jokingly, and I didn't really take it too serious. But I would hear, "Oh, you're only doing that. He's only working Coca Cabana because y'all are buddies." Or even with Derek, uh, he's only working Abyss because y'all are buddies. It's not about that. Who I can trust to deliver the product that I want. Originally, it was supposed to be Derek Neal versus Colt Cabana. But I didn't want Love Colt, Colt's a comedy match. Yes. I didn't want to put Derek in that situation knowing the following month he was going to be working Abyss. Very, very smart booking. Yeah. That, that's so logical right there, but I feel like ego just gets in the way so much of that especially on this independent level where there's not a lot of tv or whatever but it's like if it was supposed to be you you know the booker would have seen that in you already or you need to come to the booker with more ideas but i'm glad to hear that that just that didn't really like become as prevalent as you've heard about in other places no and you know and you you said you know that's really good booking strategy that's something that i kind of pride myself on because i've had compliments like i've even had fans that used to be workers mm-hmm. that'll sit out in the crowd and watch. I'm like, man, like the way that you line out the show, that's real. Like it had a nice flow. The show itself had a nice flow to it. Absolutely. It can't be all highs the entire time because people will just burn out before you even get to intermission. You'll lose the crowd. Yeah. It's got to be a roller exactly. coaster. There's got to be, it's got to be an all you can eat buffet. Like previous guest, Victor Bruiser said, it's got to be an all you can eat buffet because not everybody's going to like the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I like that, too, that you had diversity. I didn't even think about that, putting two and two together. But, like, going from one show to the next, you've got diversity in the main events where, like you said, you've got a guy that does a lot of comedy and entertainment in the March show with Colt Cabana versus somebody like Abyss in the next show that's known for more of that hardcore, like, rough brawler Very style. physical match. Yeah. But you can take that logic and apply it to the first four shows. So the first show... Carlito versus Chris Michaels. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be your more WWE style. Main yes. Event, okay. Main event of the second show was a six man tag match of Vispo and Shoot to Thrill, myself and Isaac Acid versus the system, CCW, Ray Waddell, and Dakota France. That's just your regular, ordinary, independent main event. Okay. Nothing against all six of us, but that's just your, you know, that's just a six man tag main event. Still a good main event, though. Still a good main event. Okay. The following month, Colt Cabana versus Ray Waddell. Good comedy match. Serious on Ray's part, but getting that comedy aspect out of Coke Cabana. And then your main event in April, Abyss versus Derek Neal. We saw Janice in that match. So it was an all-out brawl. 
Yeah. So I'm delivering a different product each month. And then the crowds were consistent through all that. Like people knew that they were going to get something good and get entertainment during that as well. As we start getting into these shows, especially in the warmer season, that's about the time, you know, that Zach did get his licensing. We finally got that issue corrected. So some plans did start to go into motion. Um, Like we referenced in our episode now, we made the change where originally we were supposed to win that Four Corners tag match and become the inaugural champions. It ended up going to uh, the Smash Busters, which was a trash can. And God rest his soul, Shane Smalls had that little surprise moment in there. Then we came back the next show and worked them. But as you're getting into these shows... Are you finding a flow in like the communication with the people you're booking and you know with the armory is there more going on behind the scenes that's more stressful than we're led to believe like how is all this going as UPW is growing uh, how's it going for you The stress didn't really start to hit until probably middle of summer when we started had, having issues with the armory yep. up until then I mean it was smooth sailing uh I mean it got to the point where we would have to do cleanup after the event, you know, and the sergeant would walk around the armory, walk around the perimeter, and make sure, you know, no cigarette butts, trash, anything like that. Yeah. We weren't even having to put down a deposit on the armory anymore. You're supposed to be charged a certain amount of money per hour for said person to be at the armory. We're, we weren't even getting charged that anymore. Wow. I mean, it was pretty much, yeah, it, we were just getting charged from like an hour before bell time till an hour after bell time. The relationship with the armory was good up until uh, the hurricane that hit Puerto Rico. Yep. That's when they had to send people down to Florida to help with, I guess, getting supplies or whatever. That's when we had our first show. Actually, that show ended up being canceled. Yes. The following month got moved to Franklin. The following month, we couldn't get a confirmed date, so it got moved to Franklin. Then we were back for the... Uh, Toys for Tots show, and then the entire tenure in 2018 was just kind of touch and go. Well, we may have this date, but we'll have to let you know. We may have this date, but we'll have to let you know. Yep, I remember, because I remember that too. Like, we had certain dates, and I think, like, I don't remember if it was 2017 or 2018 for the Toys for Tots show, but there was one that, you know, like, I was literally packing my bag, getting ready to head up, and you told me that it was canceled, and I think that was the night that I was supposed to work Seth, because we'd already talked about a finish where I think it was that old William Regal big show spot. He just yes, falls yes. on top of me and you know it got canceled there. That would have been let me scroll through my results here. So July was the tournament, Great American Clash. And that's when we had the war games as well, if I'm not mistaken, that we were in. And the cage uh, that match. Was, that was the next year. That was the Great American Clash two thousand eighteen. Okay, okay. See so yeah, that all runs together for me right there. That that's right. With, yeah, that was with Jim Cornette. Okay, that's right. That man, that was a fun show in itself. But we'll, we're skipping ahead right now. But like, as those hiccups are coming with the Armory, thankfully you have James Carver's location down in Franklin, Kentucky, which it has its own had its own nice little studio set up when he had that building. But when you have to relocate so far down the interstate, you have to go to a whole new building and you have to change the advertisements. You have to let people know, like, hey, this show has been canceled. What all goes into that? Like, how do you keep yourself from blowing a gasket or just getting overwhelmed and saying, that's it, I'm done? How does Randall handle that? 
It was it was very hard. Seth wanted to cancel. Seth was all about canceling the event. He didn't want to move it to Franklin. I didn't want to cancel another. We had already had to cancel August, which I was supposed to bring in Carlito, Conway again, uh, Robbie E. Yes, because I think um, Seven was actually about to come in on that show. He's supposed to work yes. Robbie E. Yes, because I had put the uh, UPW Championship on Carlito in July. Yes. Which was another booking strategy because nobody... Who would have thought Carlito would have won the championship? Yeah, you think it's going to be the local guy that's going to be there. Exactly. You don't, you don't know what Carlito's so, schedule is going to be. So the thought process with that was Carlito was going to win the championship in July. He was going to defend it in August, and he was going to drop it in September. So I was going to bring – and I got him on a good deal for three shots. But then – The Armory so. had to cancel <laughs> there as well because I remember that was, uh, that was day of because Robbie E. had actually flown into town, and we did a show – because we had a loop yes. set up for that weekend. We did a show down in, I think, Lewisburg, and then we were going to drive up to Bowling Green the next day, but, you know, unfortunately, everything fell through. Yeah. Yeah, that was the show. That was that show, yes. So, any, any so, questions? So, now? I mean, when this happens, I mean, social media has got to help you a ton on this because you can put a blast out, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Oh, that, that was my biggest help with social media because there was no way I was going to be able to tear down all these posters and put up new ones because we only had a week probably not even a week maybe four or five days yeah to get the word out that hey this isn't happening in bowling green it's happening in front at least so it's social just, media was my thing yeah it's a saving grace for sure i mean so w- with these with these talents that come in you're having a show that's canceled you're having now what reroute them are you still having to yeah. pay them for for flying in or is it appearance based and you know to pay them based on that Appearance based, like Carlito okay. was totally cool with it. Conway was cool with it. He understood. Well, Robbie, Robbie he he kind he, he kind of gave me a little bit of flack about it, but okay. Yeah, because I think I can't remember if you guys had split the flight with uh, with the show we did in Lewisburg or what that was, but I think he ended up getting to go home a day early because of that. So I mean, it can't really be that big of a loss, you know? Yeah, right. Oh, he, man. he tried to, he tried to play Carney and hit me up for money and everything, but I, I wasn't playing it. Oh, man. The wrestling business strikes again. At its finest right there, right? (laughs) Anyway, so as you're hitting these speed bumps and you're getting back and you're getting more consistent with getting the armory again, because we did have like the the Great American Clash in 2018. Uh, We had that back at the armory. What's it like for the talent? And like you said, Seth wanted to, you know, just call it quits and not move it to, uh, to Franklin when that came up. Like, how do you talk him off that ledge and get him to continue like being on board with everything. I mean, basically it was just like, I, I understand that not all of our fans are going to come to Franklin, but there are going to be some of these Franklin fans that will discover the product and yeah. may drive to Bowling Green. If, and when we get back to Bowling Green, it's best to have a show and keep things, keep the ball rolling. than kind of die down and people forget. Absolutely. It was, my, it was my kind of philosophy. Especially in wrestling, the audience can be very fickle. And, I mean, even some of the boys and the talent can be as well. It's a very out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality where if you're gone and you're not being referenced, you're not being mentioned, people will forget about you because there's, like, so many other talents that can, you know, come in and steal the attention just like that. And on the flip side, exactly. there's so many other promotions around the area, too, that can take that audience. Yeah. This question right here just popped into my mind as well. Well, this is another two-part question because ultimately, 
it comes down to a match that you and I were in. I forget who my tag team partner was that night, but it was us against you and John Irons. Now, at the time, John Irons was doing... We were almost in a Goldberg versus Chris Jericho WCW style, uh, style angle where... I would just call him out. I would get demolished. Road Warrior Animal even had a part in that where, like, he came out and saved Road Warrior Animal from me, like, just talking him down and berating him, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it was it was as simple as that. We have our tag match, and the finish was originally supposed to be that me and my tag partner went over on you and John. I think it was, you know, get the pin on you to keep John strong or whatever it was, but... Yeah. Somewhere in the match, your earring gets ripped out of your ear. Ripped. There's blood going on and everything. Like, I I've had quasi, like, nothing like that happen, but, like, where you've got to focus and get back into the match. Like, how do you process a situation like that? And then also, too, the finish of the match changed, and I ended up taking the finish from John just to keep that going. But, like, how do you not only get yourself back in the match or get yourself, like, in a position where the match can continue because Kentucky doesn't allow blood. And then also, right. too, how do you book to not only meet your end goal, but also kind of like honor the other promotion that you're running out of their building? How do you honor like their storyline with somebody in a match, too? So I remember that. That was in Franklin. Uh, that was the back to school bash. Yep. It was you and Connor O'Brien. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yes. Me and John, yeah. Because me and Connor, we were going to start a little program, and you and John were nearing the tail end of y'all's program. Yep. I remember you had me in the corner. You're giving me the boots. You tag in Connor. Connor gives me the boots. He goes to shoot me off or something, and he's wearing a cast at the time. Oh. And his cast gets caught in my earring. Oh. And oh. Like, I don't even feel it. Like, literally, I don't feel it. Yeah. He shoots me off. He does whatever. And then all of a sudden, I like do this, and there's blood. And I go to the referee. I was like, "Am I bleeding?" He's like, "Yeah." Then I reach up and I feel it. I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> so I roll out of the ring, oh. I, and I, I try to make it inconspicuous. I like get down, I crawl out, I crawl out to the back, and I have somebody run out and tell the referee, "Hey, look, his earring got ripped from his ear. He ain't gonna be able to continue. Wrap it up." Yep, and I remember I was, God, by that point, I think you and I, which is crazy to say, you and I were the vets of that match, so I had to call the audible. I was like, Connor, get on him for a minute, then tag me in. I'll take the finish, but it's like, everybody was like, "What? what's going on? Like, wh where'd he go? Like, just shut up and do it. Just go. Like, trying to herd cats to get that finish done. I'm like, just power slam me. Do something. It's like, ah! It's like, I got, we gotta get back there and make sure he's okay first, but like, just pin me so we can go like I, who cares about the finish just do it now during this how awkward is it trying to now rebook this match now that you're having to call the call the finish and change it on the fly is there a little bit of standing around and confusion like is it obvious that something has just gone horribly wrong i'm on the apron and i'm i'm running the scenarios through my mind it's like okay we can't pin john the only other options would be for like me to just toss connor to him and leave <clears throat> which there'd been no setup for that during the match, so it really wouldn't have made sense. I can give John a low blow, and we can get a cheap DQ, but then people are going to be pissed off about that. And it's like, the only thing that would make sense and make people happy is like, because I'm sure you remember, when he would throw me literally from corner to corner of the ring yes. in a suplex, yeah. like, 
I had no choice but to go, and people loved it. But the only way those people were going to be happy and forget about, you know, like what just happened with Randall and his earring was he's got to pin one of us. And if they come on Friday nights, they would see that he's been doing something with me, so he's got to pin me. Yeah. So it was just that quick of a decision, but in the moment, it felt like the wheels had been turning for I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's better to do that than have the commission come down on us, because good Lord, they uh, don't absolutely they yeah, don't play around. And I remember crawling to the curtain and be like, okay, can we can we do something so I can get back out there? Give me one minute. Can we just do something? You're yeah. Like, no, there ain't no way. Because hmm. I know, too, like we'd even talked about it for what's going to come up with the uh, the last man standing match with me and Zach down the road. You know, it's like, can we do something for blood? And like the commission was like, just no, no, you can't do it. Not, you know, I don't care if you're clean or not, whatever, not happening. They're, they're that strict about it. So does that. Well, if you remember, we came up with a scenario, and I don't know why we didn't do this, because if, if you get blood, you have. 60 seconds to take it home like you have oh see i didn't even know that match, you can finish the match within 60 seconds so we could have done the last man standing with blood on accident ah. and took it home so i don't know why we didn't come up with that man see i didn't even know that because i remember i even tried to talk to the commission like look i promise we're both clean we both had physicals we've both been tested it would make sense, but they're like, nope, we won't be there, so no. And now you can have blood in the Oh, you can? As long as as long as long both participants have a uh, blood test within 60 days, yes. Wow, how things have changed. Here's a question, because around this same time is when you, like you said, you sold to James Carver, and you're still involved in the process, but like, like what is it like for you where you've sold your, your project, your baby, how much involvement do you still have? Because I know there was still a, co- a small core of guys that came in, but then it's like, where does your say-so in the company rank compared to his, and how do you handle those changes, turning the reins over to somebody else? Uh, it, it was still pretty much 100%. I remember when I sold to James, but originally it was just going to be the guardrails. He wanted the guardrails. Yeah. We were in we were in Caverna working for Terry England, and that, that was the year that we'd done. It was UCW. UPW and New South prevents the Caverna Super Show. That's so, right. That's right. That was the Hall um, of Fame show, wasn't it? That was one of them, yes. Okay. I remember uh, the show was promoted by UCW. UPW supplied the barricades. James brought the ring. And I remember James was like, hey, buddy. He's like, how much you want for those barricades? He's like, I've been trying to get me some. So I shot him a price. He said, well, how much would you take for the whole thing? For your ring and everything? Shot him a price. He's like, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> nice. But I mean, but e- even after that, I mean, we still kept it two separate products. It was UPW and it was New South. We were running super shows together, but it was still a UPW show. New South, New South was still running in Franklin on Friday nights. Once a month, you would have UPW and New South presents whatever show yep. in Bowling Green. And I remember too, I think it was the, uh, the spring break show where we'd been building to, to mine and Zach's match and I think the Great American Clash had the two cage matches, never mind. But yes. our our first match against each other was going to be the last man standing. And we've been cutting yeah. these promos, we've been doing these videos, and we got moved to, uh, I think we'd originally been booked higher on the card and got moved to opening match. And mm-hmm. I think originally it was James that told us that and not you. And I was like, 
okay, I think he's just trying to show us where we where we rank here. My mentality wasn't in the right place at that time, but when it came to something like that where you'd have a match like that built up, like I said, I wasn't in the right mind frame of it because ultimately it was starting the show hot. It was setting the pace for what the rest of the night was going to be, and that was probably the perfect place for that match to be. And that and that's exactly why we done it. Cause I remember yep. we were laying out the show. We knew because that was the night that uh, we brought uh, Rebecca Reese and Scarlett in for a mixed tag match. Yes, it was going to be Rebecca and Mister USA versus Eric Andrews and Scarlett. That's right. So we knew we knew that was the main event. So we we needed something hot to open the show. Right. So we were laying out the car. We were like, okay. So the other matches were John Irons versus Kid Dynamite. Seth Leduc versus Isaac Acid, Trent Taylor versus myself, and Derek Neal versus Sean Hurley. And then, of course, you and Zach. Well, what's going to be hotter than the last man standing match? Right. For whatever reason, I don't know why. I was like, damn. Like, I, I felt like we, we, like, I guess it was the ego talking. I was like, damn, we should have been main event. But, like you said, if we weren't going to be main event, there was no better place that we could have been at that point because we set the pace for the show. We opened it hot. I think we started fist flying straight out of the gate, and it's just like... Oh, yeah, yeah, y'all yeah, y'all went balls to the wall straight from the beginning. But in a situation like that, too, where these other guys are coming in, did you ever have to explain it to any of the UPW guys where it's like, don't worry, your spot's safe, this is all just for the bigger picture of the show? And then second part to that question, when you did sell to, to James Carver... What was Seth's involvement in that? Did you have to run anything by him, or had he turned the reins over to you by that point? Seth was pretty much just just working at that time because he, I think, he had just graduated and he was actually teaching now. Okay. So his time his time was very limited. So he wasn't looking at doing much. Like even as far as in ring, he wasn't looking at doing much at that time. He was still doing a program with Isaac Acid for the UPW Championship. Yes. We were going to get that program wound down during the spring. But, yeah, I mean, I just told him, like, look, this is my financial situation. This is what I've got to do. All the cabbage pretty much came from me. Right, I mean, right. So it, I, had, I had to do what I had to do. Understandable. Um, I told him it, it was still going to be around. We're still running. It's just we're not going to own, we're not going to own the assets. We still own us. We still own the UPW name. James didn't want the UPW name, nothing like that. All he wanted was the ring, the barricades, and the trailer. Because he was running Friday nights in Franklin. He was running the spot shows on Saturday nights in Harden or wherever. Yep. And he was looking at, with this, adding another town. He had his main ring that stayed set up in Franklin. And then this was going to be his traveling ring. Yeah, I mean, he had a nice little setup going there for a while, too. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't to... It wasn't to push anybody out. It wasn't to, you know, take over any towns. It was just a business plan to help both of us grow. That's one of those things where I would mentioned it earlier, you know, like especially with the promoter squabbles, especially like in the Nashville area at the time, like it's sad that you have to think like, oh, we're being pushed out or we're being phased out so that so-and-so can come in. It, it sucks to say that you can't operate without your guard on high nine times out of ten when, when things like that happen because you just... Yeah. You automatically expect the worst because you've heard nothing but horror stories. Exactly, yes. Now, did it feel a little bit better knowing that you don't have to worry about the financial aspect anymore? You can just book it and just run the show and not worry about uh -huh. how can I afford to run the show? A hundred times better. Um, now, don't, don't get me wrong. I still helped out. You know, I still, like, especially with, the, let's talk about the Great American Class with Jim Tornette. Okay. 
So with that show, that was probably my, besides the first show, besides starting point, Jim Cornette was probably my most profitable event. Now, how did how did Cornette come about getting involved? I had wanted to book Cornette. I, I'm a big Cornette fan. I don't listen to his podcast much anymore because it's pretty much just all reviews of today's product. And I don't really don't watch today's product much. And I don't want to hear him crapping all over it because I know it's crap. But like listening to any of his older stuff, and especially when he gets into deep dives, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to deep dive into UPW because when he would deep dive into Smoky Mountain or um, Starcades and stuff like that, that just like, really gained my interest. But I'd always been a Cornette fan, even from as a kid, Smoky Mountain, Midnight Express. So I just hit him up one day as like, hey, we're doing this event. I would like to bring you in. The original plan was to bring him in and present him with like a um, some kind of award, just like a um, not really an achievement award. I forgot what we had called it, but we were going to present him with an award. He said, well, he said, let's mix the award thing. How about I come in? I'll do the meet and greet. All my proceeds go to the children's thing that he does every year. I forgot what it is, but he does uh, some kind of charity work every year where all this money goes to like a children's hospital. That's awesome. He's like, all, he says, all my proceeds, he says, the, the money you give me and all the proceeds will go to the children's hospital. I was like, great, let's do it. So he calls me, we set up the date, gives me his fee, everything's golden. Came in, he was a pleasure to work with. He sat in the back and just bullshitted with us for about an hour before bell time. And he did that with just, me out at my gimmick table too, like just awesome awesome to talk to easy conversation and not the high strung guy that everybody makes him out to be either no not at all i mean he joked around he you know told stories he was eager to give advice for anybody that wanted advice yeah he he was really not the cornet you hear on the podcast and that was going to be my question is did you pick his brain at all as far as booking and promoting because he's he's got such a great experience with that did a little because of course he saw the venue and he saw the fans i asked him you know there's any advice you could give what would it be and i can't remember to this day what it was he told me because i had so much going on i had a singles match we were doing the war games match and then we had this pre-show going on so i cannot and i wish i could but i cannot remember what advice it was he gave me now Speaking of like doing the deep dive and everything, because I know like we're coming up on 90 minutes here almost, and there's still so much that we haven't even like really scratched the surface on. But I want to know like, was there anybody that you know, like outside of like an Adam Rose or a Rockstar Spud? It could be somebody on the local independent level, it could be a big time star. Was there ever anybody that you tried to book that? Like, for whatever reason, whether it was dates, price, whatever, that it just couldn't work, that you had big plans and high hopes for? Oh, um, let's see here. I'm sure there is. Oh, okay. He's kind of hot right now in AEW. Mm-hmm. Leo Rush. I think I, rem- Man, I, think I remember you what? talking about that. Leo Rush won the Ring of Honor uh, Young Lions Cup or something, or maybe it was the Super 8 something. He won this prestigious tournament on the East Coast. He was gaining momentum. I wanted to bring him in to work Scott Sexton. So, and, you know, he had, he was starting to gain a following, so I messaged him and we were like, hey, look, I said, my name is such and such, I'm the promoter of such and such, I'd like to bring you in, yada, yada, yada. He messaged me back, and this is no joke, you know, he tells me his rates and everything, but he messaged me back and says, 
I'll let you know if I have the date open when I get closer to time, when it gets closer to time. And right there, that's just, so you're going to wait to see if someone else reaches out to you before you take a date from, you currently have the date open. I'm offering you this date, but because you've never worked for me, you don't know who we are. You're not going to take the date until closer to time. Yep. So that kind of that, that kind of soured me right there on him. When you get that bad taste in your mouth from something like that, do you still keep it just like professional? Like you're gonna no sell that it, it like you caught on to what was going on and it irked you, or do you just well, kind of like, ah, we'll we'll try again down the road? Like you just kind of blow it off and go from there. Oh yeah, I no sold it. I, I definitely blew it off and it was just like, oh okay, cool. I said uh, I'll hit you back or something, and you know I just. Yeah. Never, never forget it, though. Never forget it. Absolutely. You, never, you may forgive, but you never forget. Yeah. Now, yeah. is there somebody that you've brought in that they're they able to make the show but just gave you a terrible experience that you're just never again, never bringing this person in? Uh, not that I can really think of. Robbie E. may be the closest just because he constantly bugged us. Like, he would text me every single day asking for a booking or if I knew of any shows. And even at the show, he was like, hey, when can you bring, when can you bring me back? Hey, you know anybody running next weekend? Mm. Yeah, you know, I understand. I respect the hustle, but come on. Can I chime in on one that I was actually supposed to work had an injury not happened? For me, it would actually be Simon Dean. He said that I was an unsafe worker because, uh, again, we were in a, I think it was like a six-man, like every man for himself, or some kind of elimination match, and we end up doing this Tower of Doom spot. We shouldn't have even gone up there because the ropes were so wobbly, but Zach Harris, former tag partner, former podcast guest, all that fun stuff, was on the top row. Yes. I was in the middle where uh, I was going to be one of the guys superplexing him over, so basically throwing him over my back. And then I forget who the other guy was, but he was going to come in through the bottom and powerbomb us. Well, had I not gotten under Zach the way I did, Zach would have not made it all the way over because he had nothing to go off of. Like, the ropes were that loose because it was a different ring that night. And had I not gotten under Zach the way I did, he would have not made the full rotation, would have come down on his head and neck, and thankfully, I got him over, but we bumped heads in there, and he ended up getting a, a major like cut in his head. So, again, we had to get him out of the match right there. Yeah, had to yeah, take him that. to the hospital and get stitches, and me having some first responder background, I was trying to treat him in the back, but had that not happened, we were going to go into a match where it was me and Simon Dean against Zach and Chris Michaels. We were both yeah. looking forward to that, and then, you know, it's like, well... Shit, like if that if that if he did that to that guy, I don't want him in my match. It's like, fuck, dude, I just saved the guy from breaking his neck. I forgot all about like until you said that, I forgot all about that happening. Yes. Cause we bumped heads and thankfully he didn't get a concussion. Thankfully he got nothing worse than stitches and super glue in his head. But I mean like, shit, dude, had I not done that, and that's something that Zach even told me too, is like, had you not gotten under me and given me more rotation, I would have landed on my head. That was just my negative experience, but it left a sour taste in my mouth. That's just me. Right, and, and understandable. Very understandable. So, I want to get into the booking part of this for a second. As a booker, promoter, and worker all in one, how hard is it for you to book the show and then book yourself without getting any heat? 
that's why I originally didn't want to work the first event. I didn't want to book myself and book the show. So back in 2004, I ran a promotion called New Era Pro Wrestling. Never wrestled on a single event. Wasn't going to book myself on that event. Mm-hmm. When I started UPW, I had the same mindset. I didn't want to wrestle. For the first year, I only wrestled on the first three shows, the January, February, and March events. After that, I took a step back. I was an on-air role. I was the UPW matchmaker, but I didn't wrestle anymore until that, probably the Toys for Tots show that year. And then as a, as a promoter and a booker, when you're working these shows, are you getting a lot of input from the other workers? Like, come to me with ideas. Let's see if we can put oh, something that, together. Definitely. Um, I would ask, you know, I asked everyone what him and Zach wanted to do. Um, I remember, well, for instance, when Rockstar Spud canceled and I asked Derek, I said, do you want to work? You want to work A or B? So, yeah, I, I definitely always ask and will listen to the input. Because I'm booking the product, but they're the one creating the product that I'm booking. Yeah. And that's that's one thing, too, that I respect is that you're not just this ironclad booker because, like, the way you have it in your mind, you know, you may get to that finish line, but the talent involved may not be able to execute it exactly the way that you have it envisioned or may not be as comfortable doing that. But if you guys can collaborate and communicate and meet in the middle, like, you end up with something that much better. And I'm like, I wish I still had the phone so that I could count the amount of messages that you and I would send almost, like, oh. every day, every other day with ideas. Like, I remember yeah. the ideas for, like, I was excited to work Seth because that was a program when we were a tag team for that brief time, like, 2010, 2011, we were supposed to split up and, you know, I was still supposed to be the bad guy and he was going to be the good guy. He's a foot taller than me. Like, I had all these ideas that I was ready to do then and there and you were so open to all of it and had these little suggestions for how to fine-tune it, too. And, like, that's one thing I love, too, is that, like, you'd worn the wrestler hat on top of that. So it's, like, your way of communicating what you had envisioned I don't want to say it was dumbed down, but it was to the level where the talent could understand it and nine times out of ten could see the bigger picture you had in mind as well. So like that that spoke volumes to me. With that, the only way that I would be stern on a finish is if I wanted it to happen in a particular way. Yes. So if say for instance, you and Zach, if I wanted you to go over to keep the program going and I wanted you to use a certain gimmick or something. Just do that. However you want to do it, just use the gimmick. Yep. You know, at least, you know, that, that's that's the only thing that I ask. Other than that, make it entertaining, make it believable, and just keep going. Yeah, because, I mean, I think that was pretty much like you gave us one little thing, like one little connect-the-dot piece for me and Vic and that storyline that eventually turned into the tag team thing. But mm-hmm. it all revolved around the gimmick I would carry to the ring, the axe handle, and he just, he stole it. The whole thing yep. was like, oh, it's mine now, and that would get the big pop, and then he would use it on me or whatever it was, and the crowd ate it up, and every time I would get close to getting it back, he'd just, doink, there it is. It was simple stuff, but it was just like, you gave us the freedom to execute your vision and add to it, and then get to that finish line of it as well. So, I mean, that that speaks volumes to not only your, your mind, but your willingness to collaborate to make the bigger picture better or just add that little extra bit of like add that happy little bush down in the bottom corner of it you know so we're all artists yes i'm providing the canvas i may be drawing the outline y'all just color it in yep i mean that's it's as simple as that 
Absolutely. You had said before when you were booking or promoting all this, you had an idea of where you wanted to go well in advance. You know, it, it was recently said during a thing with Tony Khan that he had his idea of his four AEW world champions long before we ever got there. Did you have right. that type of vision too? Like you knew who I you did. wanted to hold your belt? I did. Yes. So Carlito was always, yeah. it was always like, we're going to put Carlito for. It, okay. I'll back it up. I wanted Scott to be the champion. Okay. When we got to that point, it was like, what? everybody's going to know because I Scott was on an undefeated streak. He was the only person that hasn't lost a match. And we would hype that too. We would always hype the undefeated Scott Sexton. Mm-hmm. So going into that tournament, people knew, okay, Scott's going to win it. So at the last minute, I was just like, why not pull, out, pull the rug out? Let's, let's put it on Carlito. And, and like you said, too, that's one that – that nobody expected because nobody knew what his booking schedule was going to be. Like you didn't exactly. expect him to be there every show, and I think that was his first show back since January. So it's like that nice surprise finish. Exactly. Did I get a good pop when he went over. Oh yeah. Oh yes, yes, definitely. Okay. So as we uh, as we get close to going home here, kind of a speed round here. What were some visions or some things that you had booked for uh, for UPW? that turned out better than you expected? What was something that, like, over-delivered on your expectations? Oh, man. Isaac Acid winning Golden Ticket. Yep. Which was our version of the Money in the Bank. I knew it would go over big, but, I mean, I I remember being in the back because that was the first match on the one-year anniversary show. And that pop, I I could hear it in the back when he won. Let me scroll through the results here real quick. Yeah, you're good. I remember when Corey Williams came back. Yes. That was a lot better than I expected. Because I, I, I knew some people were recognizing, but it was still, it was better than I had thought. That was a big moment for me, too, because he was one of those guys that I would see, like, frequently around the Nashville and Millersville area when yes. I first started him and Vic. And they were on this pedestal, like, all the way up here. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be good enough to work with those guys. So that was a big one for me. No, yeah, I, I get you 100% on that. I mean, it was the same way with me. I mean, I would see Corey Williams and Ashley Hudson on Music oh, City Wrestling. Yep. I would see Chris Michaels on Music City Wrestling. And, you know, I would see Chris Michaels on Sunday nights when I was a kid. And yeah. We brought wrestling back to the fairground, for, to the Southern Kentucky Fair for the first time in over 20 years. Oh, yeah. That was huge for me. That was uh, in 2019. That was a big deal for me. I was really proud of that. Absolutely. So, when you get to the, I guess, what was technically the last show in Bowling Green before the fair, whether that was intended to be the last show or not, when you ran that show and the final bell had rung, everything was packed up and everything, could you say that you had closure from this experience, or do you feel like there's still more that could be done? No, there's still more. I, I don't. I do not have closure. I can 100% say that, and it sucks because I was actually scheduled to uh, run UPW. I, I renewed my license uh, this past year. Okay, so let, let's go back two years. UPW was supposed to return last year. Yep, but COVID hit. I remember that. COVID, COVID hit. So like nothing happened. Like I, I had planned. Of course, that shut everything down in the state of Kentucky by the middle of the year. So there was no way. Yep. One of my biggest plans for that year was going to be. So of course, I know Joey Janela, GCW, yeah. and they always run the Joey Janela Spring Break. Well, I kind of wanted to do a spinoff. I was going to do Randall Shane Slam and New Year's Eve 
There's going to be a big New Year's Eve show. We were going to do it at Franklin at the New South Arena. That was going to be the big show for 2020 to kind of bring back UPW. But, of course, COVID. And then this past year, I renewed the license. Uh, we were going to come back in – originally, it was going to be February. But restrictions were still high yeah. with the athletic commission. So, there was no way we were going to be able to do it. We finally got the okay. So, we were going to run the fairground. We were going to run the fair again this past year. Um, I had a death in the family, or I had some, was it the death, or was it, I had something going on in the family, I had to cancel the fair shows at the last minute. It sucked. The fair understood, the talent understood. Absolutely. Um, but no, there was just no way I could do it. Uh, I was then going to run the last month, but restrictions. They're not as high as they were. Before COVID, there were probably about 30 promotions in the state of Kentucky between wrestling and MMA, constantly wow. running. That was pre-COVID, 30 promotions. <clears throat> right now, it's 2021, November, there are less than 10 promotions, wow. wrestling and MMA, that are currently running in the state of Kentucky. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, let me, let me ask this, and I don't mean it to be in a rude or negative kind of way, but do you feel like silver lining almost that it kind of helped weed out some of the bad promotions or the ones that maybe didn't take things seriously because you'd see a lot of like shows with people that didn't have gear where it was just their families in the crowd so do you feel like that maybe has ended up being a blessing in disguise for the product yes absolutely yes now how has the response been while you've been waiting to relaunch was it was it like a lot of anticipation or yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of anticipation for the uh, fair shows, and I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping maybe first quarter of next year we can get things going. Did you think about, you know, a lot of these promotions, the bigger money promotions did stuff on, like, you know, closed circuit, you know, two guys in a ring, empty arena matches. Did you consider doing something like that, like a virtual? Yes, I actually did. Me and Carver had actually both talked about doing something like that. Because um, he had the building at New South or down in Franklin, mm-hmm. um, we had both talked about doing something like that, but it just never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. I actually even talk, thought about doing something similar to uh, the Good Brothers did with Talking Shop Mania. I remember setting up, ring, setting up the ring in the field back here and just filming something and putting it on Fight or IWTV or something. I never got the dots connected for that. Understandable, which I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and I mean, like like you can see, like your daughter has made like five or six run-ins here, which we'll call her our first run-in of the show, which is crazy to say because <laughs> we're almost through our first season here. But um, family comes first, you know, you, things happen that you can't control, so you just got to roll with the punches and keep that going. But my last question before we wrap it up here, and again, it's another two-part question because I'm such a huge fan of those. What is next for you? Like, do you see yourself not only like trying to bring the show back in the first quarter, like you said, but do you see yourself becoming an active talent again? I ask myself that almost every day. I'm in good when company then. Back, yes, I definitely that's something I really, really want to do. Um, so, if anybody out there is listening and wants to be a sponsor or knows anyone that may want to be a sponsor of United Pro Wrestling, hit me up. And if you want to sponsor this um, podcast, feel free to uh, check my show notes as well. And I could just use a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I'm not going to be like some of these other promotions and you know start to go fund me to raise money to open up. I'm not. I'm not about that life. 
and it's going to be my money or I'm going to get an investor or a partner or something. And that that's one thing I respect the hell out of you for is that if you're going to do it, you're going to do it the right way and you're going to do yeah. it on the up and up. So my hat's off to you for that. I mean, and to go back to the Jim Cornette show, that show was, so Jim Cornette gave us his fee. Um, it was a substantial amount of money for, you know, an independent show. I had all that paid with sponsors. I had almost all the talent on that show paid with sponsors. So pretty much everything that came in the gate that didn't go to bills was profit. Nice. So that's why I say that that was my most successful event. But back to the question. As far as entering talent, I don't know. I'm sore. Uh, and you know, Same. And I, I don't work as, you know, and I didn't work as often as all these other people. Right, but right. My job, the kid, everything else I do. You know, I just turned 40 this year. I'm, Still young. I'm feeling I, I'm feeling it. I understand, so, dude, I understand completely. Like, but you know, like if Vic puts you on the spot and says you got to come out for his retirement show, you don't really have a choice. And that's not, and I want to work Vic again before he retires. So that's the thing. Same here. I was, I was supposed to work Vic on what was supposed to be the UP, the last UPW show. It was September 23rd, 2018, which would have been, yes, baby. <laughs> okay, I'll be done in a minute, okay? The run-in champion. Very pretty. <laughs> um, it was September 23rd, 2018, which would have been my 18th year in the wrestling business. It was wow. my anniversary show. Um, it was supposed to be me, me versus Victor Bruiser. Derek Neal was supposed to thwart Jordan Whitaker that night. Jordan got injured the night before. Oh no! So I needed somebody to work. I needed somebody to work Derek for the United States Championship. I'm not saying that nobody else on the show could have worked Derek, but with what we we're going story wise, it made more sense for Vic to work Derek than for anyone else. So I had to pull Vic from the match with me to work Derek. I remember that too, actually. And I deeply regret it because I want to work Vic one more time before. Same here. Which, Terry, if you're listening, you know what to do. So, I mean, I'm sure Vic can find a tag team partner. And oh, absolutely. Dyron and Randall Shane can team up. Let's put it out in the universe and make that happen. Manifesting, I think, is what they call it. Manifest, that is that's it. That. That's it. Manifest it. Got us a manager too. Um, well, spe- there we go. Speaking of, any any last questions from you before we take it home here tonight? So I, I guess my last question is, while you're waiting to bring this back, have you thought about doing just some big, when it comes back, epic, elaborate, over-the-top show, just like a welcome back? Yes. I've actually got, a, they're around here somewhere, I've got a couple pieces of paper with different matches lined out that I would like to do. My original intent was just to do a big one-off show just to kind of seal the door, close the doors. Like a one-night stand type thing? Yeah, just to kind of get that closure. But I know me. That's not going to be good enough for me. (laughs) But the the first show back will be a big show, and then we'll just go from there. Absolutely. Start off with a bang and set the expectations. But, man, it's so crazy to think that this promotion – was so special to not only yourself but to me and then so many other people too because again it pulled me out of retirement for one more year before I you know eventually hung it up for what would have been three years before Vic talked me out of it and like I said from the beginning like I am so humbled that you even thought enough of me to bring me on board so again thank you for that man like and I'm just happy we got a 
we got a chance to sit down and chat and, you know, not only talk about the show, talk about different things for how you handled it, where your mindset was during all that, and just how you rolled with the punches, dude. So thank you for uh, for not only sharing all that, but man, too, like, it was awesome seeing your daughter do the run-ins here because the last time <laughs> I saw her, she was literally, like, so small was, you would have to carry yeah. her around. So yeah. It's wasn't just, even walking yet. Yeah, I know. It's crazy how fast time flies, but like how it shows how much of a family thing that was for y'all. And then, like, yeah. how like, it just it blows my mind. So, thank you for, and, for all that. And she loves it too, man. She'll like, if I, if I do watch something, or like from time to time, I'll get on YouTube and I'll watch some of my old matches, and she'll be there just watching right beside me. Or if I throw in a DVD yeah. and I'm watching something, she'll, she'll stand right there and watch it with me. Absolutely. When we're going to wrestling, and so. I love it. I love it. It's great. Well, guys, we're going to make sure that we not only have the link to the UPW website, but again, we'll have the links to the social media in there as well. Um, so that way you can keep up with, uh, you know, the upcoming year with what events may happen there. Uh, you can keep up with what I'm doing, with what Randall's doing. And we're also going to have Chris's information in the links again, too. That way you can keep up with what all three of us are doing. And spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more down the road, but I'm going to have another podcast coming off here that's going to be a strictly wrestling podcast. And then on top of that, too, we're going to be bringing in some of those roundtable discussions that we've teased here in the past. And on top of that, too, um, I had my first season as a scare actor, you know, this past year, which means I worked at a haunted house. I got to interact with over 60,000 people, which was still a huge experience to me. So I'm actually going to be partnering up with somebody from that and doing a podcast called Tales from the Haunt, where we talk about different things that go into that. And we, you know, not only talk to different actors from different, you know, different local haunted houses, haunted houses nationwide, but we're going to talk about like things with management, what happens when people no call, no show, just all these different things that you may not think about when you go to a haunted house and just want to get scared. So there's a lot of things coming up as we wind down season one of the I Know You Hear Me podcast. Like, I'm trying to turn this into something where there's literally something for everybody and you're going to enjoy it. So make sure you're telling your friends, make sure you're subscribed to these shows. That way you know what's going on when something new's coming and you can just be entertained. That's my main goal right there for everybody to be entertained and have something they enjoy listening to. So guys, not only for me, but for Chris, for Randall, I thank you guys for tuning in tonight. I thank both of you for giving your time here to, you know, just, deep dive into United Pro Wrestling as we air this on its anniversary and just relive some of the good times. So, guys, thank y'all. Is there anything you want to leave our audience with before we call it a night? Just uh, keep listening. Big things are coming. A lot for everybody. Something for everyone. You're going to be entertained. So stay tuned. So appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, thank you all for listening. And um, be sure to check out UPW's social media sites and uh, check us out when we come back to action absolutely and be on the lookout too because i may drop it you know what i may drop it a little early even though you're probably going to be hearing this on the same day well what am i even saying you're going to hear this on the day that it airs but you're going to see a special graphic attached to today's episode so in honor of upw be on the lookout for that graphic as well and share it as you see fit but guys 
Make sure that you're not only subscribed on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Subscribe there. Leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Tell your friends about the show. Tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you don't like. If there's a guest you want to hear, let me know and I'll see if I can make it happen. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, same as the show. Chris is on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. United Pros on Twitter and Facebook. So, guys, we're everywhere. It, it costs nothing to subscribe and follow us. And, like I said, just stay in the loop and share us with your friends. And be on the lookout next week because I've got another awesome guest coming your way. And for myself, for Randall, and for Chris, I want to thank you all again for tuning in for another awesome interview. I can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. And I know you hear me. Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his times in the territories with PG-13 to his times in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast formats. Mm-hmm.